Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Okay, hey, uh, my name is Darren, and I'm the lead pastor. And um, 29 days ago, I partially tore two ligaments in my ankle. And on Tuesday, I went to the doctor's office because I had stopped feeling any pain. Swelling went away. Mobility came back. And I, uh, she said, well, what happened between the last time I saw you? I said, I preached on Easter Sunday, and I had all these people praying for me. And, she, and I said, what changed? What could have uh, brought this type of healing? Because she was shocked. She said, um, you can't physically heal this, po- this fast. It had to have been, yeah. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. That's, okay, I'm going to go in the back and show you real quick. It had to have been the power of Easter. Seth, will you follow me with the camera? Because we'll probably podcast this one. Because the last one was all over the place. It had to have been the power of Easter. And she brought in other nurses to say, look at what happened. And the nurses that saw my foot, the discoloring, the immobility the week before. And then she takes the boot off and she gives me this little ankle brace, which I'm not wearing. Because uh, it uh, totally messes with my style. And... Uh, <laughs> although it is black, so that's convenient. Um, and she said uh, that she's, I, I was supposed to be in this for five more weeks, and now it's off. So I just want to say a couple of things. Now, okay, you could think, oh, it was just a little minor sprain. It wasn't a minor sprain. And, um, and the way this thing is supposed to work, you're, you're getting your money's worth today, Seth. Thank you. The way this is supposed to work in community is we're supposed to know each other. And the testimonies we hear are testimonies for the community. So what happens to one person uh, is available for everyone else. Now, you need to know God heals today, but God doesn't always heal today, right? Can we live in that reality that he's come? It's now, and it's also not yet. And we have to hold that tension because the kingdom, in, as kingdom citizens, we live with the inbreaking of the kingdom here and now, yet still people suffer, people are hungry, people are hurting, people will pray and pray and pray and still not get healed. But this right now is something that I have to, I have to wrestle with my own faith, that I had, I've experienced a healing, and partially, and it's not 100%, but it's probably 80%. Um, and I say that because I, I'm convicted this morning, and I was in the first service, and I'm moving around on purpose, because I can, and I'm not sitting for a moment. I want to say something, that as a church, we need to not celebrate yesterday's faith. And it seems like, in most of my experiences lately, a lot of us are talking about what happened a long time ago. We need fresh stories, don't we? And yesterday's faith is not faith for today. That's not faith. It happened. You saw it happen. You had faith for that moment when you didn't think it was possible, but then it did happen. That means you need fresh faith. You need new faith because the faith we need today is not the faith we had yesterday. And the faith we need for tomorrow is not the faith that we have for today. So I want us to be hungry. I was thinking about this. I was talking to Alex. Um, I was like, babe, you know, we sold our house in June. God spoke to us after we had our kid. 
three weeks, three weeks, he was three weeks old, and God was like, sell your house, give money away, move back into a neighborhood. That's, that was a big risky thing because it involved a lot of moving parts, like showing a house when you have napping kids, and will somebody buy, and how do you afford rent? And there, I've shared the story along the way, but just recently I told her, babe, I feel like, uh, like we're comfortable again. Like, how can you go nine months ago from being on this journey of revolution, of excitement, of dependence, to being comfortable? And what I know is that you don't need faith when you're comfortable. And what I see in the church is comfort. And and I'm not just speaking about the garden. I'm saying across the board. What I see right now, what God's putting on my heart, is we need fresh faith. We need dependence, and we need to be hungry. And I don't know how to teach how people how to be hungry. <laughs> I don't know how to do, like, how do you, like, like, how do we get hungry again? And so I want to present this morning the story that inspired this series, Encounter, um, because it started with me being in a boot, okay? So I just, I need to move around because you guys are all over the place. But so what happened was this. <laughs> Uh, and I, I didn't rehearse this until the first service. So, uh, and it was funny because on Saturday, yesterday, someone ran into me at the beach and they're like, man, Easter was so amazing. How many of you loved Easter? Easter was pretty, it was so great. They were like, Darren, like, you can't even, you can't, you couldn't have planned how that song climaxed with the story of the prodigal son. I'm like, what do you mean you can't? That's exactly what I did. <laughs> I practiced that like 15 times. <laughs> but the last service uh, was my first practice at this sermon. So um, I, I, I want to share a couple of observations about a story. And this story is the one that inspired this series. And, and the story uh, met me in a time where I was really down. I, I tur- broke my, my foot. I, I tore two ligaments. And I'm a very active guy. I run all the time. I'm up and down the stairs taking care of our kids. I'm playing. Um, I'm very active. And so when I went to the doctor on Tuesday morning a couple weeks ago, and she said this is eight weeks. Um, And I know some of you have physical conditions right now that have lasted years or your whole life. So hearing me complain about this is pretty pathetic. So forgive me, but this is my pathetic story. And so I was there. And, um, and the, it wrecked me. I was just, uh, you know when you fall into like your expectations are totally crushed? I was training for this marathon and she's like, good luck type of thing. And, um, and she's like, you might need a surgery. We got to get an MRI depending on how the swelling goes and all this stuff. And I went home and I basically went in bed and my wife graciously, normally she'd be like, we got two kids, you're not going to stay in bed. But that day she knew something was up. And she let me stay in bed all day. And I had friends texting me, praying. Like one friend called me so many times and he left all these voicemails saying, stop hiding from me. Um, (laughs) But the next day, and I knew I couldn't like wallow. And sometimes you need to. But the next day I was like, I got to get up and get in the presence of God. And I woke up and I randomly turned to the story of the healing of the paralytic. And and I've read the story. I've never preached on it, but I read the story and it spoke to me. And what spoke to me wasn't the healing. What spoke to me was the power of friendship. That, um, and you'll see it in just a moment. And in that moment, I realized um, I have a group of people around me that are calling me, texting me, 
um, and wishing that God would do whatever he wants to do. And I thought for that moment, I, I have to get up. I, and, and my whole demeanor changed instantly. And I had a, a different perspective with the, with the wound I was going to heal. And I didn't care if I was healed in time. I it totally changed my disposition because I knew I had a faith-filled community with me that was, w- was with me. And then it made me realize there are, and I, I told Alex that morning, I'm like, so many people don't have that kind of friendship. They don't have community with them that will carry them when they're down. So this morning and this little series that we're doing is we're looking at different interactions that people have in Scripture. And these testimonies that we read about happened in real human history. And those testimonies are true and they're available for us. And some of us are living testimonies to God's power, healing, restoration, resurrection, uh, healing of relationships, emotions, past pain, addiction. And I just think we're going to look at this together and we're just going to talk about what does it mean to follow Jesus in ordinary life. Does that sound okay? So uh, let's read this story together and then I've got a ton of observations and I I went really long. I'm going to hurry it up in this service because you guys are probably hungrier than the last service. So Mark chapter 2. Let's read this together. Mark 2. So Lord, I just want to pray first as we hear this, would you open our hearts to your word, that your word has the power to bring life, to change lives, and to give faith. I pray, Jesus, for um, the gift of faith in the church. I pray for the gift of faith in the garden, that we would be able to see you, that we would be able to see you move, Lord, I pray that you would uh, allow seeds to be planted for ministry to, ministry to flourish. And I pray for the power of healing today. Even as I preach, I pray people would be healed in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof, as you do, above Jesus by digging through it. And they lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk? Like that. He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take his, uh, get up, Take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Amen? So this is a story I wanted to focus on this morning and just share some observations. There's five different characters or groups of characters in this story. And so I want to look at each of them this morning. Um, So we're going to start with some observations about the faith filled friends. The first observation I have about the faith-filled friends is this. They made space for their friend to find Jesus. This is what faith-filled friends or faithful friends do. They hold space for others. 
They allow others to be on their journey and they remain faithful to God while others might not be faithful. They create space for them to see Jesus in the community when they might not have faith in Jesus quite yet. They hold space for other people to find Jesus. They create space to do it. Also, the second observation I have is that they don't allow current circumstances to determine future outcomes. How often is it for us to live our life based on comfort and convenience, even with each other in community? And this is one of the things I see, that, that friends that are in the presence of God will do everything they can to bring the presence of God to their friends who need it most. They're desperate for their friend who's paralyzed to be healed. Now, Jesus was already in Capernaum at one point in his life. And there was such a powerful ministry. Everyone was healed. All the demons were exercised that came to the door. And then he wakes up early in the morning. They're, they're like, all the disciples are like, we're famous. Let's, let's build a bigger church or whatever. Like, you know, set up a multi-site thing. And, um, and he's like, no, we're going to go to other towns and we're going to preach. That's my mission. But when he comes home, people had heard about all the stories that happened when Jesus was there. So you have to think his, these friends knew that Jesus came home and they're, they're grabbing each other and carrying they're, they're carrying their, their friend who's paralyzed, right? They're making a way for him. And when they get there, it's crowded. Most of us would be like, oh man, we can't get in. Let's go. All right, see you later. Or, or you would see that the service is at 9.15. That's a little too early. I can't make it there. Good thing they have 11.15 though, you know, or 11.30, most of you think. Um, <laughs> Uh, we'll get there when it starts, which means when someone's preaching. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh, um, I was just going to let that settle just for a little bit. Let the Lord bring the conviction. It's the Spirit's job. Just kidding. I was just kidding. Uh, so, but, but this is how we do community, isn't it? When it's, we do it based on our convenience and comfort. So we don't show up to house church because we're tired. I had a long day. I need some me time. What are you talking about? You have 168 hours a week of me time. And if you're in a house church and church on Sunday, most of us attend church on Sunday every three weeks, which is the national average. You're talking about, on a, if you go every week, four hours a week to be in life with people who have also claimed that there's a guy who lived in human history, died on the cross, and raised from the dead. He's currently ruling over all the cosmos, and we need each other to ensure we remain faithful till the end. Oh, now, there's a long line. No, these guys are like, no, son, we're going to go to, I want to just think about this. Oh, it's crowded. How do we get in? We could dig a hole in the roof. Like, who thought that was a good idea? Like, and then the other, the other guy's like, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, well, let's do it. We're going to dig a hole in the roof as you do. And then just imagine a full house and stuff is hitting me on the head. <laughs> I have friends who are in our house church who uh, it, the fact that they've stayed married this long is uh, a miracle because of the trauma that they've experienced in their past. Um. It's, it, it, and I say that with all sincerity. Both have experienced significant amount of pain throughout their individual lives. And then they come together, have a kid, 
compound stress of finances and all the other stuff, broken relationship, how to communicate. Um, they, they're willing, they gave up in many ways. At this point, they were giving up on their relationship to Jesus. I'm sorry, their relationship to each other. And uh, we were, we were, my wife and I were walking with them. We were encouraging them, trying to get them to see a counselor, follow through with these things. And we were walking with them in that season. It got to the point where like, we can't help you unless you commit to going to counseling and following through with these things. Um, and it was like, and, and I remember um, the husband was like, I just need breakthrough in my marriage. He said that on a Tuesday. And Sunday, Chris Veenan came to our church and preached about spiritual warfare. And some people in our church heard this and they're like, that's what's going on in this marriage. And these friends didn't, weren't invited, showed up to this couple's house and didn't leave until God showed up. And I kid you not, the presence of God came into that relationship. They began to forgive each other for past wounds. And that was a breakthrough moment. Their relationship has changed. They have a lot of work to do, as marriages do. They need to go through counseling and do that. But God showed up, and their friends kicked down the door, showed up, brought the presence of God to them, and said, we're not going to let current circumstances determine our future outcome of your relationship. And this is the problem, I think. We let the narrative of the world... When we believe kingdom of God, the heavenly resources are at our disposal as followers of Jesus, yet we continue to submit to the world's narrative. As fo- we're trusted rulers. We were designed to live with power of heaven at our fingertips, with our words, with our prayers. Yet most of us are saying, oh, it's just a bad sprain, Darren. That can't happen. We need to become the the kind of community that have such real faith that we will hold each other up. That we will will carry each other for a long period of time, in and out of season. Are you with me? It's a couple, these are just my observations. So you take it for what it is. You could disagree. Third about this is they remain faithful. They remain faithful. What does that mean? Well, it, it was their faith that brought healing. Their faith that brought the encounter. Their fa- it should be called uh, the story of the faith-filled friends. Because they're the ones that brought their friend on a mat. They're the ones that dug up a hole. They're the ones that had the faith to see the healing. They were faithful to their friends. They were faithful to their friends. They were faithful to their friend that had the issue. One of the things we need to get better at, brothers and sisters, is suffering together. It's not this hashtag thoughts and prayer. It's not, oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. I dropped off some flowers. I'm going to keep going. Because I have a, a friend in our church who has this, this Wednesday is a year anniversary for their nephew's death. And that pain to her is just as fresh as when it, the moment she found out. And I have to tell you, I suck at walking and suffering. Most of our culture and society does. We don't know how to continue to show up in the suffering, in the pain, in the conditions. We don't know how to be there and hold space for our friends. But we got to learn it. This is one area that we all, I think most of us need to grow in, is to learn how to s- allow people to walk in their pain, in their conditions, in suffering with them while not being dragged into it, while we can remain faithful on solid ground and be the hope reminders that they need in those moments. Are you with me? 
Okay, we're just doing a lot of work right now. So, second, <clears throat> second character is the paralyzed man. Sometimes our issues become our identity. Sometimes our issues become our identity. And this is what happens all over the place in the scripture. It's the paralyzed man. It's the le- man with leprosy. It, you literally, you have a diagnosis that becomes, oh, you're homeless. You're the addict. You're the divorced one. You had an affair. Sometimes our issues become our identity. And I just see that all over the scripture. But the second observation is when we encounter God, we encounter our true self. We have to, um, we, we have to, uh, we, we forfeit all other forms of identification when we come into the presence of the living God. We forfeit all other forms of identification when we come into the presence of the living God. We are his child, his beloved. We are a saint. What do I mean by that? Well, when you come into a presence like this where we're worshiping a creator God and you might have an encounter with God, you hear his voice, you experience him. Um, he doesn't interact with your false self. He doesn't interact with the, the self that you've created over the years, the ego that's for self-protection. That's operating from a place of insecurity, from a place of scarcity, from a place of, of world um, opinion. He only can operate, or he can only interact with the true self that is you. So the paralyzed man is not a paralyzed man. This is a child of God. This is my little boy. Son. That's a good point. Another observation. <laughs> Son, your sins are forgiven. Oh, that's so good, Susie. Look at this. This is it. You call, you, come on, girl. Gra- grab a seat. Just kidding. <laughs> Uh, get her a microphone. Okay, uh, she doesn't need one, actually. She can carry her voice. She's got some pipes, um, as you know. So, uh, number two, or number three, it takes courage to change. I always think about, oh, yeah, you need courage to pray for healing. Yes, absolutely true. How much courage does the paralyzed man need to actually get up? And I just think about this for a moment. Like, many of us have, have become comfortable in the brokenness of our lives, in the, the brokenness of our marriage, in the brokenness of our relationship to our, our, our parents, in um, the conditions. We've, and this is what happens. You, you cope, the medication, all the things that you've, you've dealt with, this has become the norm. But the moment Jesus offers an alternative life, get up, he has to decide, will I step into that reality of healing of new identity, he's no, he can't be called the paralyzed. He was once paralyzed. It takes courage to make change, which is, which is why it's so hard to change. But this is true for all of us. We need courage to pray. We need courage to ask for healing. We need courage to stand up in the healing. Right? At some point, he's gonna have to, and, and who knows what happened. Was it the word that Jesus said and then he felt something. We don't know, but what we know is Jesus said it and he got up. So that's just an observation that we make is that it takes courage. In my opinion, that takes an incredible amount of courage to um, be willing to respond to that. Are you with me? Fourth, he remained in community with his issues. Probably a, 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 a number another big issue that I see at the garden is that when we go through crisis or pain, 
of any kind, we isolate from each other. All right? And, and so this is what we do, right? So we're going through pain, and rather than bring it immediately and expose it to the community of faith that we're walking with, we hide it. Rather than share, I've been depressed for three months, we hide it until it's getting to a place where it's, we need a lot of work to heal that depression. Rather than bringing to the community, I'm struggling with finances, immediately we keep going on our own way to get to a place of debt that becomes too large without help. Does that make sense? So um, not only is the community of friends willing to create space for their friend to find Jesus and be faithful to him in that, but the man who is paralyzed is, has the courage and strength to, bring his, to remain in community with his issues. I want you to think, I mean, think about this. Like, if somebody has to be carried to community, they're dependent. There's a vulnerability in that dependence. That's incredibly courageous. It's incredibly courageous. There's more courage in that person showing up than those of us that don't have those, those issues in front of our community. Does that make sense? Do you see the humanity of this text? Can this relate to us? Just observations. Yeah? A couple of observations about Jesus and then the two other characters. Jesus is one of the characters in the story. Um, And I just want to point out a couple of things that Mark, as he writes this gospel letter, he's writing to the church to know how to be a follower, a disciple, or an apprentice to Jesus. I put those words together. A, a disciple, or our word we like to use, is an apprentice of Jesus, someone who learns to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. So um, what you see in Mark's gospel, in Matthew's gospel, as well as, as well as Luke's gospel in particular, is Jesus does what he does in the power of the Holy Spirit. So what you see in this text is he lives and operates in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know this is hard for us to understand because a lot, a lot of times we read the story of Jesus and we think, oh, he does that because he's God. But Luke, Matthew, and Mark want you to know he does it because he's a man filled with the Holy Spirit. Because you get to the book of Acts and you see the testimony of the, 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 the Acts of the Apostles, the church, and the church continues to do what Jesus was doing through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus does what he does through the power of the Holy Spirit. The, uh, the church does what it does through the power of the Holy Spirit. We get to do what Jesus did through the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? Okay. Yeah. So as we look at that framework, what Jesus does is he operates in the power of the Holy Spirit. So what you see him do is he sees faith in the friends. How do you see faith? Other than Susie, is there anyone here that has seen faith in, the, in other people? <laughs> Just raise your hands. Like, You've seen, like, when you need a prayer, who do you text for prayer? Is it your critical friend who's not going to (laughs) pray? Or is it my mom? You probably text my mom, like. (laughs) Like, so I I got prayer for my foot from a bunch of people, but I want to tell you, like, there was a kid named Luke who's four, goes to our church, who came on Good Friday and prayed for me. Um, Luis and Roger, who were at the first service, they uh, prayed for me at every house church. Every chance she got, Luis was putting her hand on my leg and praying for me, and she prayed three times. My son, my wife, my son prayed like all the time. And by the way, whenever I pray for my son or with my son for anything, he's taught me you pray Jesus right now. So he, he prays, hey, Jesus, heal my daddy's foot right now. I'm like, I want that faith. 
He, didn't, he doesn't have all the baggage. So Jesus, <laughs> wait, why is that funny? It's obvious. He's like, no, daddy, it says in the Bible. So that's what we got to do. Oh yeah, but you know, then what? it's like, and he's learning that God doesn't always answer prayers and he's learning why, but, but isn't that true? Like, I love what John Wimber said. John Wimber, the, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, became a Christian later in life. And he became a Christian and then went to church and he went up to the pastor and he's like, when do we get to do this stuff? He's like, what stuff? The stuff you read about in the Bible. Like, when do we get to heal and pray and cast out? Like, when do we get to the stuff? And his movement, the Vineyard Movement, was a, a signs and wonders, healing, power of God, and evangelism. That's what the Vineyard is. And we're fruit of the impact of Vineyard. Um, Jesus lived and operated in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he sees faith. He also knows in the, uh, what's going on in the hearts of those men. They're asking the question. He, he's practicing discernment and wisdom and the gifts of the Spirit. So we as well can operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you, I want you to see this. Jesus has the power to heal and, for, and the authority to forgive sins on earth. Check this out. In Mark chapter 2, 9, he says this. Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. So this is a rabbinic form of argument called the light and the heavy. If he can do the heavy, sorry, if he can do the heavy, then he can do the light. If he can do the harder thing, then he can do the lighter thing or the easier thing as well. So which is easier to say to the paralyzed man? It's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Why? Because you don't need an outward demonstration or manifestation of that forgiveness. It's harder to say to a paralyzed man, walk because you need to demonstrate it. So he says, so that you know I have authority to forgive sins. He does the harder thing. So that brings proof to the fact that he can forgive sins on earth. And that leads to this big issue, and I want to bring this up, the teachers of the law. So here's what's going on with the teachers of the law. They were the respectable Bible readers. They knew the scriptures. They knew theology. And what happens there is in verse 6, it says, Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this, does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And they're right. Here's what's going on. They know scripture. Their theology says that only God in the temple through a priest can forgive sins. Jesus is essentially in the gospel of Mark saying he's God, he's the new temple, and he has the authority to forgive sins. He's the high priest. Do you see what's going on here? He is the temple, he is God incarnate, and he is the high priest. This is exactly what's going on. So they're confronted with this, this issue, and here's what's going on with the teachers of the law. A couple of observations about them. They resist what God is doing because Jesus doesn't fit their theological box. We often miss what God is doing because he doesn't fit our theological box. We often miss what God is doing because he doesn't fit our theological box boxes. Can we just sit there for a moment? How does that work itself out? How? Because what's going on here is um, the law says that only God through a priest at the temple can do this thing. Yet here the Messiah is in Capernaum 
with a, in a house that has a hole doing the thing that was commanded to be done someplace else by someone else. So they miss what God's doing. Not only that, I'll come back to this. Not only that, um, there was superstition in the first century, and this is, what's, this is the, the bigger thing that's going on, that said leprosy, physical ailments, sickness, paralysis, was a divine punishment for a sin that you committed or your family committed. So now Jesus is pressing in on that superstition and that theological box of this guy deserved it. And let's just go one inch deeper or a couple feet deeper. The man wasn't allowed into the temple to bring offerings for sin because of paralysis. The lame, the blind, paralyzed were not allowed into the temple to fellowship or to experience that, that presence of God in the first century law. Do you see what's going on here? I mean, you're, you're breaking up, you're destroying these, these rules and regulations, these laws. And here's what's going on. I think this is part of it. When we look at the world with judgment, we will often miss what God is doing. But when we look at the world with compassion, we will rarely miss what God is doing. And I want to sit here for a moment because I think this is the problem with the church today. You see, we look out to the world with judgment and condemnation, but our job is not to judge and condemn the world. In fact, Jesus came to save the world. As the church, you can fall into this trap. Our, judge, or our job is to bring a moral code to the rest of the world. And what happens is when we, those who look at the world, uh, out at the world with condemnation will live in a small, neat and tidy world with people who look and act and uh, talk like them. Let me say that again. Those who condemn will live in a small, neat and tidy world with people who look and act and talk like them. My friend Mike Pilavacci says it's neat and tidy in the graveyard, but it's messy in the nursery. Those who live with compassion will find themselves in the large, messy world surrounded by a diversity of people. You will be dining with the religious and the prostitutes, the poor and the wealthy, the sick and the healthy. Isn't it amazing that if you look at Scripture, Jesus was very popular with the religious elites, yet at the same time, he was really popular with the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, that in one setting, he's at a Pharisee's house and a prostitute, a woman who is living in great sin, comes to him and that's ordinary for him. That he was so attractive that people were just drawn to him from all walks of life. And it seems like today as we walk into the church, what happens is our world gets smaller and smaller and smaller and we stand from a moral high point pointing, shaming, writing position papers to condemn or writing position papers, I can run now, to, <laughs> to celebrate what was never intended to be celebrated. So what do we do? We stay in the center. What is the center? It's the living Jesus. And how do we stay in the center? Through compassion. This is the only way I can foresee us interacting in the world that we live in today. The center is a compassionate worldview. That doesn't say, oh, you don't belong. It says, how can I help? 
Compassion always leads to greater relationship. Condemnation avoids relationship. Just had this experience this week. Thursday, I was getting ready to, uh, I was walking to lunch, and this man carrying this big bag, there's lots of homeless people in downtown Long Beach, carrying this big bag. Uh, he is uh, pulling this, uh, this bag, and he's like, hey, do you know where Pacific is? I'm like, yeah, just two lights that way. And uh, he's like, do you happen to know where Anaheim is or how far of a walk it is? I'm like, yeah, it's, you know, seven or eight blocks that way. It'll probably take you with that bag 12, 15 minutes. And I'm like, and, but the, and, and then he's like, thank you. And he starts walking. And I stop. I'm like, hey, why are you trying to, are you going to the rescue mission? Because that's, you know, Pacific and Anaheim. And he's like, yeah, I'm trying to get lunch. He's like, I don't think I'll make it, though. I'm like, you don't have to go there. And I, I grabbed a hot dog with him. Um, I got him a hot dog because uh, I couldn't let him miss a meal. Not in my city. And that's how I view life. Like, I, if I can do something in that moment. But here's what happens. Here's what I think. That was a, moment, a great moment of compassion, which is not the normal in my story. Most of the time, I miss those opportunities. I'm too busy. But what happens is we look with condemnation, and we think, oh, he's going to use that money for something else. And so you, what do you do? You build a wall to relationship. Compassion always leads to greater relationship. I want to do, I think we need to do a series on this stuff because compassion, I think this is the key. If we can learn that it's, it's not about con- condemnation or celebration, but learning to walk in relationship in the mess of life, that's the way of Jesus. That's what we talked about last week as Bill talked about centered set versus bounded set. Our theology, people always, the bounded set religious want to know, well, who's in, who's out, what's the, what's the rule? And centered set is, hey, we're all on this journey towards Christ-likeness. Okay, Jesus is the living center and we're moving towards him. If you're not moving towards him, well, you're not, you're not gonna be a part of our community because we're all moving towards Jesus, but we're all on different journeys along the way. Does that make sense? And so what we need to do is become living wells of life that attract people by how we live. Not by the words we say or don't say, but how we live our ordinary life. We dig wells. We don't build fences. It's, it's the, in Australia, this is the classic. We build wells, not fences. If you have three acres of land, what you do in the U.S. is you build fences around the cattle so that you know who's your, what cattle's yours and what, what's not. In Australia, they have such a vast land, vastness of land, that they just dug wells, not fences. They couldn't fence up their property. They would just dig a well at the center, put some water there, and they knew that the animals or cattle wouldn't go too far from the well. And that's what we're doing at the garden because we believe Jesus is water for the thirsty, not wine for the connoisseur. Let's not become the teachers of the law. The church today is modern Pharisee. The church today is known for hypocrisy, anti-everything, judgment. Um, and, and that's, I mean, I see it in our city. Every time I tell people I'm a pastor, I have to say I'm so sorry for what the church has represented. Let's build it together. You with me? Now, um, the, fifth, the fifth, and I'll end with this, the uh, character. And this is a major character in the book of Mark. We'll see this character all over the place. Uh, and it's the crowd. Mark uses this as um, a writing tool. He says, essentially, will you be the crowd or will you be a disciple? 
See, what happens is the crowd is at the door. The crowd hears the word of God being preached. The crowd witnesses the healing of the paralyzed man. The crowd witnesses the faith of the friends. The crowd sees the rejection of the way of, of the law and this new thing, this compassionate thing being bubbled up through the life and presence of Jesus. And it says in verse 12, the paralyzed man got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. This is the crowd, amazed. Amazed. But we get to the end of the book of Mark in chapter 15. Verse 8 says this, the crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, said Pilate knowing it was out of self-interest that the, the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas, a murderer, instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. And this is the point. Without apprenticeship to Jesus, you can be amazed by Jesus in one minute and be shouting, crucify him the next. So what will you be? A disciple of the way or just one of the crowd? Good? I want to respond um, with five five things. Uh mainly because this is what I, I thought today was for. And the first service was pa- an amazing response. And I want to give you uh, just the encouragement that, that I believe it's going to be amazing as well because I feel like I ha- you have to learn how to respond to what God's doing. I know for a fact that God is already ministering to some of you. Your hearts are stirred. You're longing for something. And this is the presence of God. This is the Spirit. And I want you to learn how to respond to the Spirit. We want to be a Spirit-filled community. We need to learn to respond to His movement in our life. So the first thing I want to pray for, and we're going um, to come forward afterwards, is healing. I want to pray for, for healing. I want to pray for physical healing. Some of you need physical healing today. And I know, and I'm saying this again, God heals sometimes and sometimes He doesn't. But we want to be a community that regularly sees healing. To be that kind of community, we've got to keep praying for it. People always say, oh, there's healing over there. You want to know why there's healing over there? They're always praying for healing. It's, there's, and God continues to show up in the faith of a community that has faith for it. So let's, let's pray that God would heal some of you. A physical healing, emotional healing, relational healing. I think that's a big one. Healing in your marriages, healing in um, uh, your relationships to your parents, to your kids, friends. Um, that's about extending reconciliation and forgiveness. Uh, emotional healing, I already said that. And then uh, mental healing. You know, Long Beach has a massive um, population of those living with mental illness. And mental illness is not really talked about a lot in the church because we're like, oh, just pray for it. Now, I, I believe that we need a medication for some of that stuff. Uh, I believe in the power of that. And some of us will never be fully healed from that. But I want to pray for us to be willing to engage in praying for some of the mental stuff that's going on. The confusion, um, this, this, the, the anxiety that's placed in, not just in the body but in the mind. And we can pray for that. Is that okay? Can we do that? So we'll pray for healing today. Um, and the second thing I want to do is I want some of you uh, to respond, to come forward for prayer, 
for two things. One, to become the faith-filled friends. We need people in our community that go after the ones that are on the outside, that isolate. God has put people in your life that he wants you to bring the, his presence to. And you got to say yes to that. It's like a, someone in your life, you're like, they're not showing up. I need to text them, make an appointment, show up to their house. They have an issue. Kick down the door. Don't leave until the presence of God shows up. We need to be that community. But also, like what started this whole series, some of you don't have that community. And that's, that's you can't, we can't be a church without being that kind of community for each other. And you're isolated and you're alone and you've tried and I'm sorry. We're gonna pray that God would supernaturally release intimate, meaningful relationships here for you so that people will carry you next time Jesus arrives. Even if you don't have faith. I was praying for a ton of people this morning for that. Um, the other one, and this is the big one, repent from religious judgment and condemnation of others. Guys, I'm going to speak in a moment, if you'll let me, prophetically. I believe God's going to do amazing things this next season through the garden and through other churches. I think God is on, I, I, God is on the move. I, people say, I'm not a revivalist. I don't talk like that. I really believe that the, if the time, our cultural moment as a church is now. In order for God to release us, there's two things, and the second one will be up in a second, but a major one is on behalf of the global church, we must incarnate prophetically the religious condemnation and judgment the church has borne or worn towards the world. We need to say, and I'm, I'm doing this in my own prayer life, Forgive me, forgive us for having a tone, a posture that does not represent the love of Jesus. Forgive the church. Bring about repentance over the church so that you may move in the world. Because we have pointed our finger for far too long. We have made walls. We have built walls. And we have to tear those walls down through repentance. Repentance is not just, oh, I'm sorry. It's, it's changing directions, changing our minds, moving our life a different way. And we need, I, I was thinking, what if the garden took it upon itself to repent on behalf of the church of Long Beach over the last whatever amount of years that has caused so much damage we're going to, let's, let's take, because we can, let's take that sin and repent on behalf of the church. Let's stop saying, oh, those other places are doing, no, it's alive and well in us. Forgive us, Jesus. We repent. Ongoing repentance. The second thing with repentance, and the fourth thing I want to call you to, and this is a big one, we need to repent of living in sin and justifying unholy practice and behaviors for the sake of mission. You see, the center, the closer we get to the center, the more we live, talk, and act like Jesus. And this is the prophetic thing I want to say. I believe God wants to release in our church a a ministry of power and for us to stand in a place where we can steward the presence of God. We need to challenge, repent, and get rid of all the unholy behaviors and practices that we regularly participate in. Yes, we are forgiven once and for all. But Paul will say in Romans, it's dead, so kill it. It has been crucified, so keep on crucifying the sinful nature. 
And this, I think, is one of the problems with the millennials. We're not comfortable talking, maybe the modern church, we don't talk about sin um, that much, but I, am, I sin all the time, as my wife knows. I sin, this is what I, I'm confessing my sin. I'm challenged. I do not want to be this angry, judgmental, petty, greedy, self-interested, self-focused. We can, yes, we can look at people and say, oh, your lifestyle preferences, that's sin. We can say that's sinful. But what about your consumerism? What about your self-centered greed that is materialistic and your religion that looks more pagan than Christ-like? Go talk about them. Look at the massive logs in your life. It's, it's just empty, that stuff. We have to get rid of it. And why? For the sake of mission. We give those things up so that when God moves in power, we're standing on dry land, pulling out the people that are drowning in the death that is right before them. Are you hungry? I'm hungry. I don't want to just do church and see it grow a percentage. Of, I want a movement of God. I want a move of God that is undeniable in our city where people are bursting out the seams, not to come to our event, but to get near one of you who has faith to say, come on, let's go, walk. To, to, for people to say, can I just hang out with you? Because there's something about your life, the way you talk to your kids, the way you parent, the way your marriage, the way your finances, the way you, you enjoy, you have so much joy. Like you walk into stressful situations and you, you have this countenance about you that brings so much peace to me. That's what we need. Challenge the world narrative. We'll write a better story. And lastly, number five. Today, I believe that the Lord wants to release the power of the Spirit in us. I think this is the process. So those are the five things. Is that okay? Can, can we, is there six? Oh. <laughs> I, I forgot that in the last one. So live in forgiveness and live in the power. So what, do you want to add a seven, Susie? Do you want to? <laughs> All right, friends, let's stand up. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about The Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.